I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11 in the Common English Bible. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things. But now set aside these things, such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Good morning. That's okay. Yeah, almost. Uh-huh. <laughs> he just can't give up playing music. He wants to do percussion now. My name is Scott. I'm the leadership pastor here at Trinity. I'm excited to be speaking to you today. Uh, but I should be honest, uh, this sermon and the entire book of Colossians uh, coming at the time that it is with, uh, with COVID, with the, uh, the way that our world um, has been formed by it, by the way we talk about it with each other, by the way that, uh, that I have seen change in people's lives because of it. Um, it was a very strange sermon to write. So we're going to do it together, and you'll tell me afterwards if it was as strange as I think it is. Before we do, though, let's pray. God, thank you for this church, for their willingness to seek you, uh, for their willingness to serve you. For your spirit and its guidance, we ask for that same guidance right now, that your spirit would come truly in our hearts, in our midst, that we would experience it as very real that we would be open to its transforming power. Amen. I am now convinced, having just finished with uh, Father's Day, you know, I am now convinced that pastor jokes are just dad jokes with a wider audience. Because they tend to be just as lame, and the people listening tend to feel just as compelled to laugh regardless. Speaking of which, I'm going to give you my favorite pastor joke. A church in a rural community decided that it needed an update to paint its building, but didn't have quite, quite enough funds to do so, so they just hired someone within the church to do it as they could with the money they had. So they gathered the paint and began painting, and about halfway through, they realized this was not enough paint. So they added some paint thinner to open it up and widen the amount that it could be. And then they just kept adding paint thinner to it uh, because they just had, a, they had more building to paint. There was a little more and a little more and a little more. 
to the end, it wasn't much of paint left that was going on the building. Not too long after, uh, the paint started to flake away and fall off of the building because there just wasn't much on there. The pastor was very upset by this, uh, decided he needed a change in this scenario because obviously what would you do with a half-painted building where the paint's falling off? So he went to the person. He went right into their face, as only a pastor can do, and said, repaint and thin no more. Did you get it? <laughs> it's not really a joke just for nothing, though. Uh, it has to do a bit with the idea of our sermon. Uh, and this sermon is connected to last week's. Uh, we're, when you go through a book like Colossians, they are all interconnected. Last week, we were told by Megan that our life, um, our old life is buried in the grave and that new life has come through Christ and that if we align ourselves with Jesus then, with Christ's kingdom, we're defined then not by our mistakes, we're defined not by our old allegiances, but by the goodness of God's kingdom. We are found in Christ. So the next question would simply be, if that's the case, then what? If we've got a new definition, then what? What do we do after we accept that we have this new change? Now that we've defined our life by the resurrection, what does it change for us? Uh, Colossians gives us this kind of, this flow, at least this passage, a bit of this flow of logic around this. So first we have this idea of reframing your mind. So we have the idea that we have to reframe our mind. It says to, to set our mind on things above, specifically on Christ as Christ sits on the throne. So set our minds on things above, um, not on earthly things. And then in this passage today, we move into this conversation of removing deadly thoughts. And that is the idea of putting these things to death is the language it uses, to, to, to bury them, abandon them. And then next, we have replace with new patterns. And we're going to get into that this week. And there'll be more application on some of that next week because that's where the passage heads toward. So this is kind of the logical flow of what is going on as the author, as, as Paul is writing this letter uh, to the Colossians and saying, here's how you make this transformation. And it's important because we're, he's helping new Christians um, and maybe not so new Christians understand uh, how to make that move from a life that, where they did not have any experience with Jesus to one in which they do. And what does it look like when you become a Christian in that way? Now, for many of us, we grew up, many of you, many of all of us, uh, grew up in a church. The idea of becoming a Christian is still not that clear for many people because they've kind of always been a Christian. There may not have been, have been a time where that really wasn't a big part of your experience. And so it become, it, when you read this, it can, it can feel like it's uh, not real. It's not, it's not us. Uh, it can be a story that says, yes, maybe for some people these ideas were true, but not for me. And that's not necessarily even just gloating. All right? It's not just you. Uh, don't worry. You don't have to feel like you're just uh, really uh, you're losing your hum humility here. Uh, it can really feel like this is a story about some people who had never seen Jesus before and then had to make the choice. And that's true, that's how this is oriented. But that's not true 
that it doesn't apply to us. Because the reality is, is that the temptation to choose a different way, the temptation to find our identity and to be formed by outside communities and ideas is perpetual. It will happen throughout your entire life. And in fact, I would actually argue that the longer you're steeped in an idea of being Christian, the more likely it is that this will seep in without you realizing it. It's how dangerous it, it works. Now, I'm, before I get too deep into that, because I will explain that, but before I get too deep into that, I want to make sure we know that the list that's included in here, we have two lists that are included that say these are basically things to abandon if you're choosing to follow Christ. And these lists are similar to other lists that Paul makes, but these lists are not exhaustive. The temptation of what we could be formed into is unlimited. It's unlimited. We are really creative people. Humans have the capacity to create amazingly destructive things. We have the power to create things that surprise us, we have the power to create things without knowing the consequences of them. Actually, that's everything we create. So that list is not limited. That list is heavily oriented toward where things were at for the author at the time, but it is not limited. So we are called to put to death all of those things. All of those things are called, we are called to put to death. Remove them from us, purge them from us so that we can be like Christ and live in this role. The still, still the question would be how? So if that's what we're supposed to do, how can we do it? I'm going to, I'm going to seek to convince you that this is a sort of spiritual equation that I want you to play with for a minute. A spiritual equation. Um, it's how we process our world. First, we have, well... Before I get into that, I'm going to tell you what we think we process our world. I didn't exactly plan on this, but I'm, to, I'm already too excited. I can't sit down. We have beliefs and actions, and this is what we think is happening. We have beliefs and we have actions. We, we think we believe something, and therefore we do this thing because of it. Now, I do want you to raise your hands on this. Don't worry. You're not going to be alone. How many of you have ever done something that doesn't align with what you think is right? Yeah. So it, right now, without much difficulty, you can agree your beliefs don't always line up with your actions. At least not that simply. So let's, let's expand it. The reality is it's much bigger than that. It's true, but it's incomplete. We often have competing beliefs. We have multiple things happening. Sometimes it's simply, I know this is not a good thing, right? I know this is not a good thing but I want to do it because I believe it'll make me happy right now. That's, that's what we're talking about for, for every one of us. We've got competing beliefs. Those are, that's the minimum, right? I, want, I know this is not good, but I want to do it because I know it'll make me happy right now. And these competing beliefs, one of those wins out. Now, there are multiple competing beliefs. I don't want to get into all that, but I can tell you Paul was not immune to this either. Same author wrote, I don't know what I'm doing. That's the best way to describe it. I don't know what I'm doing. Because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing I hate. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing I hate. 
So we can say we believe something, but we actually believe many things, and they compete with one another. And this difficulty leads to an outcome that we don't always desire. So let me explain it this way. It goes beyond beliefs and actions to a larger equation. What we have going on in our minds is first we have our thoughts. We have our thoughts. Many thoughts? Actually, it's something like 72,000 thoughts a day. You think a lot. We have these thoughts, and from our thoughts, we have our emotions. Now, here's the thing. I am someone who likes to think that I am a rational person. And it turns out, no matter how much I believe that, people who study this continue to tell me I am not. And here's the important part. You aren't either, so let it go. We are people who react or not, and act. I don't want to just say it's reaction. We act in our world through emotional responses. The closest part to your actions is not your thoughts, but your emotions. We have our thoughts, we have our emotions, and then we get to our beliefs. After you have your thoughts and your emotions, you end up with what you believe, and then you have actions. So there is beliefs and actions, but they don't come until you've had thoughts, until you've had your emotions swayed, moved, or engaged. It doesn't mean you will always feel like doing emotionally what you think is right, even if you choose to do what is right. What I'm saying is you are not going to just think that it's right or wrong and then act accordingly. You're going to think it, you're going to feel something, you're going to believe something, and then you will do something. When talking through this with people who are trying to overcome uh, barriers in their life, um, I talk with uh, several early pastors who are just getting started, and the first thing they will do in a conversation usually is tell me how they're feeling and then explain later why the situation that someone is, is putting them in is bad and wrong. But the first thing they'll tell me is they're upset. The first thing they'll tell me is, they, is they're worried. The first thing they'll tell me is they're sad, right? Because the first thing we're connected with when it comes to our beliefs, to our experiences, is not our thoughts, but our emotions, These emotions can be complex and lead us to, again, do the things that we don't want to do, even though we know that they're wrong. They can put us in the situation where, you know, it's late at night and everyone's asleep, so you open the fridge and you decide to eat the last piece of cheesecake, even though you know your wife wanted it and thought that it was hers for the next day. It might be too specific, but I'm just saying. You can have competing beliefs because of these emotional responses. What was happening in that scenario is based on your thoughts and your emotions, your beliefs, and then your actions. Now, this doesn't mean you're powerless. It does not mean you are merely the result of the emotions that lead to your beliefs and to your actions, because at the beginning is your thoughts. When I work with these pastors, the first thing I do with them is not to say, is not to simply spin out the emotional state they're in, but ask them what sort of thoughts they have when engaging those people. What are you thinking about when you're talking to this person? What are you thinking about when you're having this conversation? Nope, I almost stepped too far. I'm going to hold off for just a sec. What are you thinking about when you step into this conversation? 
When we are told in the verse just before this to set your mind on things above, we are told that because the competing thoughts that we have in our mind can be overcome by competing better. There is always a competition between a variety of thoughts in your mind, and you can, over time, work at defining your thoughts, which define your life. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean that you should start anywhere in the emotional state or the belief state or the action state. Because of this, it means you should start only at the beginning. If we have thoughts, emotions, beliefs, actions, and you start spinning out on how to change the actions, you are likely to just land into a shame spiral and feel like, I'm terrible, I'm the worst. If I only really believed this, I would do better. If I only truly believed it, I wouldn't be this person. If I only really believed, if I was just a good person, a good enough person, I would be better. You will fail if your goal is to change your actions. If that's your goal, goal is to change your actions, you will fail if you just focus on your actions. Because they did not happen in a vacuum. They happened as part of a process. Don't fall down the trap of what would be the shame spiral of saying, I am terrible because of these actions. Number one, you can take action. It's not there. But number two, the reason why I think Paul started last week with the definition that said you are found in Christ is because your definition sits somewhere else anyway. The reason you want to transform the actions is to, up, is to look like Christ, not by your definition, because that is found in Jesus alone. And so ending up in that shame spiral on this action area will fail you. But you can emphasize the entry point on your thoughts. I had a friend uh, who, uh, who, this is years ago now, who was becoming more bitter and more angry angrier in life in general. And after some conversation with this person, it turns out they had been listening to a lot more angry rhetoric. They were listening to a, a radio host who was mad all the time. That was their thing. They just talked angry and mad at people. And I, I asked him at one point, point blank, when you listen to this, does it lead you, as you walk away, with more love for people who disagree with you or more hate for people who disagree with you? And to his benefit, he was honest, and he said, more hate. More hate. If you want to do the work of fixing your actions, you go to your thoughts and say, what are the product of these thoughts? What are they making me feel? What are they then making me believe? Because he didn't... He did not just end up being hateful out of nowhere. He steeped himself in these thoughts. He then believed that the people who disagreed with him were not just wrong, but bad. That was, that was what he believed because he felt that first, and then he acted out of it. Here's the end result of that conversation, though. He liked it. He liked it. Felt good. You know what one of the best feelings is? Having an enemy. Feels good. Feels good, because you're right. 
You're right. And the longer you can keep them your enemy, the longer you can say, like, they're always wrong, they're bad, they're always wrong, they're destructive, the better it feels. It feels good to be right. If you want to change that sort of experience in life, just as it's described here, to bury death, to bury anger, think about your thoughts. Colossians uh, Colossians tells us, let's see if I can get to there. Corinthians, sorry, sorry, 2 Corinthians. Actually, let's pull it up on the screen here. 2 Corinthians tells us, we demolish arguments, same author here, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The question is, is, are you putting these thoughts, your thoughts, to be obedient to Christ, under the lordship of Christ, or are you trying to put Christ under the thoughts? Are you trying to put Christ up here and bring your thoughts under Christ, or are you trying to hold your thoughts up here and make sure that Jesus fits them? I had many conversations recently during the pandemic. This is what, part of what I was talking about during the pandemic, about people who feel like they were losing faith. But, but with the longer conversations I have with them, it turns out that wasn't actually true, and we were able to work that out a bit. They weren't losing faith. They were changing faith. They, they were more committed than ever to certain ideas and concepts, to movements or people, all of which they had a lot of faith in. They weren't losing faith. They were converting. It turns out what had happened is that they were slowly changing where they kept their thoughts, where their minds were being steeped in. To different, primarily to different social groups, politics often. And in doing so, they were looking to that and trying to bring Christ underneath. And sometimes it just wasn't working. And so it was becoming harder and harder to call themselves Christians under that. And that makes sense. That will always happen because they were converting to a different place to keep their mind in. If we don't choose this path of taking our thoughts captive to Christ and making them obedient to Christ, we will be swayed by every new thing. Whether it's a conspiracy theory or a social movement, we won't first look to Jesus. We will first look to Q. We will first look to some other movement and, and look for truth there and then make sure Jesus aligns. It is a temptation that all of us have, and I would say it's probably the hardest one to overcome because it looks so pure. This is because it looks like the only other way is to dismiss new ideas altogether, to dismiss possibilities of learning new things altogether. As if to take captive to Christ means that I have to live as if it was 2,000 years ago. And that's not what we're talking about. If there's anything true or good or pure or holy or noble about the things that we engage in this world, then they can be subjected under Christ and stand. But Christ... 
Christ can't be pulled from a throne and asked to bow down to something else. We will put something as a guide in our life. We have, we all do. At some point, we look at something in our life and we say, this is what is going to guide me. This is what's going to um, teach me what's right and wrong. And you do it consciously or unconsciously. But if you ever feel like something is wrong, something is guiding you to do that. The question will be, are we using kingdom, the, Jesus' kingdom as that guide, or other things? This list that, it, that I talked about early on, that I kind of put a hold on there, this list of sinful things that need to be buried is incomplete, as I said, because we can come up with new ideas. The most dangerous thing that we have in front of us is not only coming up with new ideas, but doing so, coming up with new ideas that are so close to Jesus, like, that they can creep right in there. And you will know it's happening when you start looking at the words of Jesus and start saying, this doesn't fit with what I want to be true about God. You also know if you've stopped engaging the words of Jesus. Now, luckily, you're here right now. The question of whether you're willing to have the conversation about what does Jesus want for my life, it does matter that you're here. And online, don't worry, if, you, if you've got a reason for being there, you're, you're listening to these conversations. It matters that you want to be steeped in these thoughts. But the divisiveness that exists in our world to make enemies everywhere, to have new allegiances everywhere, still coming for you. At the end of this passage, we have this image uh, that Paul uses of taking off clothing. It actually says, removing the old self and putting on the new. It's an image of kind of new robes for Paul. We remove the old self and we put on the new. And when we do so, something changes. It actually says, the results are there is no Jew and no Greek. There is nothing separated. And what's funny is he uses words like there's no circumcised and uncircumcised. There still were in that room. But what he was saying was when we put on this new identity, those other things are supposed to no longer be what divides us. And you are guaranteed that there is a world out there that wants you to be divided. There are other places that want your allegiance so much that they will show you who your enemy is. They will teach you who the enemy is from another, another people and help you hate them. The idea of the church is that in here, when we put on this new identity, it is in Christ. And that's it. So that Christ is held up as the center place that we set our thoughts to build our emotions and our beliefs and then our actions that we aren't separated from one another because the call to be converted to finding new enemies is persistent. We can only hold on to that place where we put on those new clothes when we set our minds on Christ and not on earthly things. I was reminded of hearing a story when I was young about, uh, about uh, Zhuo Zhou. Uh, if you... If you know Chinese, Mandarin, Chinese, if you know Mandarin, then you will know that I pronounce that terribly. 
the, the idea of zhuazhou is, uh, a, is something that would happen in a Chinese community, in a family. Uh, there's another version, I think, in Korea and Japan as well, um, where at the one-year mark, a child uh, would be placed in front of a number of items that are available to choose from. Money, maybe a musical instrument, pen and paper, a calculator. And, and the child would move toward them and choose one. And in doing so, this would be an indication of maybe where they were going to be in the future. So they choose a calculator. All right, they're going to be into math. Maybe you put out a, you put out a square and you're like, all right, they're a structural engineer. And maybe that's too specific. But the story I was told was by a, a, a Chinese immigrant who his family had moved from China here. And when he was a baby, he had no one else around to do this. There was no big event with family, but his father put out some items just on their floor. When it was just him and his dad. Put out some of these items to, to kind of do this thing and put his kid out there. Set him out there in front of all of the items and stood back and just squatted down and waited. The baby looked around, saw all the items, and crawled up to them, pushed them away, and crawled up to his dad and crawled in his lap. If we are going to know that we are not a place of division, where people who disagree with us have to be our enemy, if we are going to know that the church is a place where, those, where the things of a dead life get buried, then we have to keep our mind on Christ so that when all of the choices are pushed in front of us and the world tells us these are what are going to define you, we can push them aside, walk right up to the throne of God and say, no, I will be buried with Christ and brought to life with Jesus. Because anything else will lead us right back, right back to a divided world. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for what you give us in, in Jesus for new life, for the opportunity to be defined by something that goes beyond us, for the opportunity to be defined by something that will outlive us, that will last for an eternity, to be able to join in your perfect kingdom. I ask that you grant us humility as we consider how we ourselves um, have too often been swayed, converted to other kingdoms. Help us to accurately see those things in our life which need to be removed, to be buried. that we could find redemption in your resurrection, not as an abstract idea distant from us, 
but as a real experience of being brought out of destructive, pain-inducing thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Amen.